I clicked it on go. Okay, verify. I clicked it Got on waves, go. I have oh, waves. <clears throat> waves. This is Wait, yep, there they are. Great on your maxed out. Maxed out. Get Can I get to the top? Maxed yep. out. Okay, we're firing all cylinders. Why don't we go ahead and call your friendly and then not keep yep. him waiting? We yep. can discuss. It. You have a phone number? Um. Okay, ready. Two one seven. Hello, this is Nick Custer with Farmers Risk. I'm sorry, I missed your call. Please leave a brief message. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Nick, you're going to hear from our lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, while we wait for him to uh, get back to us, Lanny can discuss the vision. Shoot again, shoot again, shoot again, shoot again. He's good. Okay, okay. Hello. What up? <laughs> Nick, this is your grandmother talking. <laughs> ah. She has a cold. I was going to say, it's like the uh, it's like the little red riding hood. What deep voice do you have, grandmother? <laughs> yes, yes. Landon, why don't you introduce your friend here? Uh, we welcome uh, Nick Custer to the podcast. Uh Former coworker of mine, um, one of the greatest salesmen of, of your ag tech and farmland products from the great city of Effingham, Illinois. He's joining us, uh, this evening. Where, where are you at now, Nick? Effingham? I, oh, I wish I was in God's country. Uh, no, I am in, uh, southeast Wisconsin. So. Oh wow, oh, crazy! Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's still mm. snowing up there. Is the, <laughs> is the glaciers receded? Uh, the glaciers have receded. Yeah, yeah I was in uh, I was in Florida last week and uh, coming back from snow. I was I was questioning a lot of life decisions. So, Nick, what what was Landon like as a coworker? Oof. Well, obviously, you could tell given that uh, that that very overly generous generous intro. He was a uh, he was a uh, good bullshitter, but. Uh, no, no. Jokes aside, Landon is a uh, is a great co coworker and uh, and a great uh, mentor. So glad to have him as a, as a friend as well. Are you related to his brother Logan or something? You sound strikingly similar. Are you Logan? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take that as a compliment. Granted, don't tell Logan I said that. So yeah, yeah, we're sure you're better looking here. Nick, do you do you remember what we're talking about tonight? Uh, yes, yes, uh, my man Nietzsche, yeah. My man Nietzsche, um, are you able to just, like, say what we're talking about and go right into it, or do you want some, uh, some background? You know, I will let you guys shoot with an intro, I mean, I got, I got a few ideas, but, uh. Well, yeah. you're, you're doing the intro, Nick, let's be yeah. clear. So, <laughs> oh, so you are just, our idea. whatever, oh, okay. whatever you, we, you say we aren't really sure stupid. what we're talking about yet. Yeah, tonight. we like it oh, when you yeah. say stupid things, so then we sound smarter, as Ross implied <laughs> earlier. <laughs> um, I see. Uh, okay. What What uh, did you know? What did you know about Nietzsche? Were you familiar with the Madman speech? Something like that. Uh, you know, before today, no, I was not uh, whatsoever. I knew uh, I knew of the name of Nietzsche. He was probably somebody I should have 
I should have been aware with or, or been more knowledgeable of, but, uh, you know, just a name that I recognized, but I couldn't uh, put a finger on what he, he did or contributed to, to society, uh, before today. So, uh, did have the opportunity to read, uh, the madman, uh, parable and, uh, yeah, upon first read, I definitely thought it was kind of your typical, um, I don't know, kind of like a Catholic church renaissance saying, um, God is dead, you know, shame, shame the world, etc. Mm. Um, you know, something you would hear for similar to what church might say every other Sunday, it seems sometimes. Um, but obviously then you kind of do some of the backstory of what Nietzsche was about and how he kind of, uh, laughed at, mocked, questioned Christianity and the European beliefs. And, uh, upon reading the madman two or three more times, um, I had a, I think a better understanding and I, I, I had a different viewpoint. I do think it's odd in that he, he talks about after God is dead in that first or second paragraph, how I think there is some questions that maybe Nietzsche's asking himself as well as like, what's going to fill the void? Um, and obviously he was writing in the 1800s and I think to this day we're also questioning, you know, if God's dead today and, and what is going to fill the void. And I think we're still looking for that. And there's multiple things that do fill the void, but is that that's probably um, not as productive as the Christian faith um, and maybe derogatory. So, or, uh, you know, I, I think Nietzsche was saying that philosophy and all this other, these kind of high ideas and, and thoughts um, would fill the void of Christianity. But I don't know if that's quite the case today, but I think Nietzsche would be very uh, flattered and encouraged to know the elevated role TikTok has taken in the uh, developed world. Um, So (laughs) initially, way better. (laughs) In the, in the, we all have our own gods, Matt. You know, to each his own. (laughs) Okay, so it sounds like you thought that like Nietzsche was sort of a Christian, sort of complaining about the lack of God at first. Is that the right interpretation of what you said? Yeah, no, I I read it. I read it completely blind. Yeah, yeah, cool. Oh, that's fun. Did you have any interest in philosophy outside uh, prior to this? Is like that something you and Landon did? Like, what was your working relationship like? Were you on a lot of empty country highways in uh, around Illinois, and Landon was talking about how he'd like to turn yeah. that field into yeah. a golf course. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's, uh, we were we were Zoom software slinging sales reps. Uh, we weren't your typical seed dealer. That uh, oh, we visited the countryside. Mm-hmm. Hey, we visited farmers in a Prius once. That is, that is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a few trips. There was a few trips. So, but no, we, uh, we did not, uh, discuss philosophy. I, you know, Lana, as you and I were talking about this earlier, you know, kind of Abraham Lincoln and some of the, the people from a few moons ago, uh, you know, would, would, this would be part of their education. They would discuss Nietzsche and, and a few other of the works and, and be able to quote and kind of have a conversation about it. I think that, I mean, maybe God's not dead, but that philosophy and that education in today's society is definitely dead. I, I doubt many people know about Nietzsche. Granted, maybe we have our different Nietzsche of today to fill the void. I mean, we can discuss Game of Thrones and other things and watch a lot more Netflix than ponder these works. I just got to shoot the intro, intro that easy. Let's yep. go for it. Let's see what you got, Nick. And this is, uh, what's the podcast name again? That's pretty bad. The greatest speech, guys. <laughs> The speech guys. The speech guys. Who had speech in the title? All right. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to episode 38 of The Speech Guys. Today we're reviewing Nietzsche on the loser speeches, and I have the absolute pleasure of introducing Landon, Mike, Ross, and Matt. Take it away, guys. Hey, that wasn't bad. Yeah. We might have hey. you on again one day, Nick. Oh, uh, don't be. <laughs> hey, He's got his own job. podcast. Thank you very oh, much. Yeah, no. You have your own podcast? <laughs> No, that got buried. That got buried. Oh. Uh, way in the catacombs, deep on the web. So um, You know, only one percent of podcasts have more than twenty one episodes. I guess you're in that ninety nine percent, huh? I'm in the ninety nine percent grave. <laughs> so you guys made it to thirty eight. Was that the was that the hell bent? Like I'm gonna make it to to twenty two and then we'll take it up from here. We actually have probably another twelve unpublished, so we're basically at fifty already, but <laughs> Oh wow! You know, it's just it's, the they're sort of like the gold it's, members only. Yeah, sort of like the songs <laughs> by John Lennon that were like never recorded. Like, oh, those are the best. Those are the deep cuts. That's basically what what yeah. those are for us. So awesome! <laughs> hey, thanks again, Nick. Let's cue the music. Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all are all here. It's free. Free. I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want to podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. We are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement. Okay. Well, hey, that was a great intro by Nick. Uh, I think Lana is going to go ahead and lead us into the uh, speech excerpt itself from the book The Gay Science, also known as Joyful Wisdom, a little more amenable to a modern ears. So, Lana, why don't you go ahead and read the uh, speech excerpt here? Yep. <clears throat> Joyful Wisdom, The Madman. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage, immigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God? He cried, I will tell you. We have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns. Are we not plunging continually, backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there still up, any up or down? 
Are we not strained as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we need to light lanterns in the morning? So we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the gravediggers who are burying God. Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods to decompose? God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. That is the speech. Of, this is the final part of our quad on speeches by losers. Tying it into that theme, I think uh, I did have a hankering for a, a philosophical work, um, perhaps a, a speech within a work or a book as this. So that was what uh, I led my search. I also wanted to find, um, again, our, a recap of speeches, speeches by losers. We started out losing in war, losing in love, losing in death. And what I was trying to fill was like losing the faith, losing God. And so our loser to critique and analyze tonight is perhaps the madman or perhaps the loser is Western civilization. For us to... Or Nietzsche. Or Nietzsche. Or Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah maybe. One of the three. It sounds like the madman is the one who had faith in the story. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Um, or Nietzsche, or this is an analysis of a son of a Lutheran pastor with a lot of education in the late 1800s, um, one, of, one of the great Western philosophers of the last 200 years, fairly controversial. I think controversial because from the Christian side, I, I did... Before, I like, literally before I chose this, I had not read a single line of Nietzsche. But <clears throat> I've heard him referenced a lot. I've heard that if you had to, like, pick a stream of philosophers from Socrates to Plato up until modern day, like, he would occupy solely, you know, some 50-year stretch of, and then Nietzsche came, and that was, he developed on the canon in this way. So I, I think he held that place in philosophy. I knew that he his in in yeah, universally God is dead is coined to him, but I had no idea the context and was quite surprised with the context. Yeah, as a reminder, I it was on the God is dead quote was on the cover of Time magazine in Big black background. Uh, when was that? 1968? Something like that. Late 1960s. Yeah, first reactions we have in mind here. But Landon sort of touched on it there. But remember, the context for this book, it's, it's, a, it's like a book of meditations, right? So what we just read, it, it sort of like has the flavor of a story. But that's pretty much all there is to it. There's like another couple paragraphs after that. But it's this book of meditations, and what what is there? I mean, like 400 yeah, meditations or something yeah. that are roughly that long. And I was reading through a, a number of them before uh, tonight. And it almost has this structure, it seems like, where the first maybe two-thirds are sort of undermining the sense of social reliability towards religion like these are the issues where it is not as reliable and optimistic and good as you think 
So he sort of breaks those all down. He he takes his sledgehammer and knocks out whatever's underneath him. And then the last third, or at the very least, the last section of it is this is the solution. Uh, the Uber Mensch, right? The Superman. Which I was, I didn't look this up. Maybe some of you guys saw it, but like, we obviously know Superman is like Superman, the hero. And I wonder like how much of an intentional relationship there was between Nietzsche's Ubermensch and DC Comics uh, Superman. I don't know. We don't, don't talk about it now, but just something fun to visit. Yeah, the Ubermensch um, and also the idea of eternal recurrence is another one of the positive sides of that what to do with God being dead and also Amor Fati or uh, Love Fate, right? So that that's sort of um, the general structure of what we're dealing with here. It's not a novel, although it sort of sounded like that from just that bit, but that's mm -hmm. what it is. Like late 1800s. Yeah. Yep. 1882 maybe. Um, had you read... Oh, and I'm curious about everybody. Had you read any Nietzsche? Only... Bishop Brett McKay's primer from the Art of Manliness. <laughs> did, did he chant it, or did you? Uh... You got to chant it, and usually that's the second half thing. We don't read, we don't read scripture until the second. Half. But yeah, honestly, that was it. That was the extent of my familiarity with Nietzsche. Um, and the first episode of Smallville on the WB back in 2002 when Lana Lane asked Clark, are you man or Superman? Because he was reading Nietzsche. So I have a pop culture <laughs> reference. Um, in The Day After Tomorrow, when they go into the library, or like she, she was talking with like one of the librarians, and the gal like kind of beat up Jake Gyllenhaal for like, not really caring about Nietzsche or like respecting him and it's like a little back and forth in uh, that movie too that's like my main reference what are some bits of that back and forth I'm sort of interested in that um, oh they were they were throwing books into the fire to oh, burn them yeah, and he picked up a that. Nietzsche book and they're you know thinking it's the end of the world and she's like we have to keep him and he's like why yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that now my dad loves that movie. <laughs> I would say I've had slightly more exposure than based on what you guys had said, but to be totally honest, mainly like secondhand stuff. I never like sat down and read Nietzsche, but I feel like just some of his ideas, especially like the Ubermensch and things like that, I feel like I've heard, I've heard just talks and videos of kind of about him and some of his thoughts and that idea and how a lot of maybe modern thought or current kind of current thought in some ways comes from that type of stuff so maybe but i have not like i said i've never sat down and read nietzsche himself to give him to give him his his due yeah we did uh we did read it's hard to say a fair amount because it i would say <clears throat> probably five chapters worth of nietzsche writing in seminary yeah, um, yeah, we obviously discussed him a decent amount, that. Yeah. but in terms of like firsthand nietzsche reading i would say that um, and probably more secondhand Nietzsche <clears throat> commentary, I guess, is, is probably what I'm more familiar with. But yeah, we, we did read at least some firsthand Nietzsche. So from that rating or from whatever you can recall, like what kind of like what did he do or what did he most contribute to 
thought or how did he fit into, hey, we got to bring Nietzsche in Catholic cemetery, seminary and like here's what you need to grasp about his perspective? One, I would just say he's a very compelling writer. So it just writes very, um, yeah, just with a lot of gusto. Um, so yeah, I would say, well, certainly worth reading just for that. Almost like, it's almost like reading Hemingway. I mean, or it, it's, it's a lot more simple language than I expected. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. That much I would say is, yeah. Hemingway seems to be very, almost like a reporter. Um, whereas Nietzsche has a little more like drive and, oomph, you know, like he, he's, he's really trying to say something. The main thing with, because um, I mean, we did read this specific, like the Madman uh, parable. I, re- I mean, at least from what I remember us focusing on with Christianity falling away, which again, like, um, I mean, I've heard this in a number of, I mean, Brett McKay, the gospel of, the gospel <laughs> according to Brett. Uh, Make sure you bow your head every time you say his name. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would say that in some circles, it's cliche. Uh, in that, like, the, the God is dead proclamation isn't a triumphant one. You know, I think I've heard that over and over. But I, I, I would say at least when I, yeah, there was a time when I first heard it and I was surprised by it. You know, um, especially that Christian movie, God is dead or God's not dead. Like, yeah, I well, I haven't seen the movie. I saw a brief clip and it just like they totally butchered Nietzsche. Like they just didn't get it. But anyway, um. But yeah, I, I think the the main thing they wanted to grasp is in the vacuum of of a godless world, like what you know, what is there, you know, and, and Nietzsche would contend that, yeah, I mean, a lot of things do get reduced to power and asserting yourself and viewing that as as like the new that's the new thing, and uh, I think that's an oversimplification. Uh, yeah, I'm certain that's an oversimplification because um, there's a lot more to him. With uh, I know. Uh, yeah, just with him valuing the passions and to some degree he kind of almost like has a, a nostalgia for a God-filled world where, you know, uh, maybe more of a pagan God world <clears throat> where, yeah. you know, there's these clashes of, of personalities and, and um, people and passions and, and all this stuff. Yeah, but uh, I'll, I'll stop you there. Um, let's put that on the table for a little later. And the main question I'd summarize there is like <clears throat> the question I have about Nietzsche not having read a lot of his body of work is like he says he's kind of getting it. He is secular. He says we've killed God as a Western civ. And I'm, I'm wondering just what do you know or what have we read that like does he fill it with anything? What does he like replace it with? So we can talk about that. Um, first, let's anything to pick apart about the speech key lines like what we how we interpreted it or thought about it i was surprised how i mean the madman is is the man who's still like grappling and and wants there to be a god or thinks there should be a god or is like blaming society for ignoring it and i thought that was a very generous um context for which the quote, God is dead, uh, appears. I would not have expected it in this manner. It seems like it, in, rather than saying, like, God is dead, exclamation mark, and we killed him, like, joyously, like, we did it, like a French revolutionary, 
you know, upsetting the establishment, taking over in a um, uh, Enlightenment manifesto type way. Um, it is more of a like God is dead and we killed him. I don't know. It sounds it, the context seems like a somber statement, like a shoot. Look what we just did. Was this the right thing? Um, that was kind of just the way the water was flowing in society and nobody stopped it. Um, so to sort of riff on that, that idea that, um, okay. So Nietzsche identifies the profound, um, even though he obviously acknowledges and not just acknowledges, he affirms and insists that, God is not real, and he, he really, like, dials into that idea, um, at least from his perspective, to the idea that everything that you think is, like, beautiful and ordered in the universe, it's an illusion. That's It's not actually how it is. So, like, he recognizes this factual inaccuracy of religion but at the same time he's expressing these qualms through the person of the madman that it still has at least with respect to the madman a very um profound like psychological necessity because it has because it required because he recognized that religion Christian religion required everything that you had, right? And so what can what other ideal can require everything that you have? Something like the Superman, the ultimate man. But something I'm sorry, and I made this note uh earlier, and actually there's a pretty um convenient tie-in uh to sort of ask you guys and play with is and Baron brought this up in that <laughs> beginning of that video between Baron and Peterson, and it was the uh, quote from uh, Saint Irenaeus, and it was the the glory of God is man fully alive or woman fully alive, and <clears throat> because in many ways, like the Ubermensch, the Superman. It's sort of just like a play on words. Like, it sounds nice. Like, oh, I no longer believe in God. What else am I going to invest my resolutions towards? Well, it's the Ubermensch. Okay, what is the Ubermensch? And, for you know, from what I read, in, in fairness, what I read was basically a... It was the actual thing, but it was still condensed. It was something, document from Stanford, some class in Stanford had put out. But just quick, what's I was sort of go go go. No, keep going, keep going, keep going. What was sort of ironic about it was that at least what I read, one of the things was like even though in one section he said that beauty is just an illusion, it's not real. In this next section where it's like the positive, he was like like beauty is real. But but it's like the, how how can that be a motivating factor towards building up the foundation of this Ubermensch if it's if it's not real? Um, so that was one thing that was sort of like striking um, to me. And number two, this is sort of like I don't know how how would I articulate this thought, but it's like 
And I'd be interested in what Nishi would have to say about this. If he's in heaven, I can ask him about it, maybe. But <laughs> it's the idea that, you know, the, this Bible, this news... Ross, are you still awake? I'm listening. <laughs> this, <laughs> this New Testament, this Old Testament... You know, depending on your font size is uh, like a thousand pages long or something, right? It's this copious document that covers thousands of years of history and non-history, right? And simply because of that fact, it has the capacity to engage so many different minds and so many different demographics. And for Nietzsche to say, God's not real, what we're going to replace him with are these three tenets, the Ubermensch, Amor Fadi, and the Eternal Recurrence, I find is profoundly naive relative to his general intelligence in other ways. Let's break those down. First of all, full context for the Ubermensch. Um, I don't know if we've, we've read a couple things about it, but just... To clue everyone in that who knows the most about it because it's is it referenced in this speech or a different one i don't recall it being in this specific excerpt um i think that's something that's better laid out but oh well i'm el- sorry not the man speech it's in it's in the gay oh, okay so okay okay oh yeah. yeah yeah that could be but it is like the ideal man what further but that—that's the thing. It's, I mean, I, I yeah, would it's not very. Yeah, I mean, he—he never—he never defines it as like this is what the Ubermensch looks like, and if you don't meet this, this, and this criteria, yeah, yeah. you're not. You know, um, I mean, a, a few With things. A focus, that have, focus on the individual. Yeah. Yeah, definitely focus on the individual. So, like, not. Um, yeah, the societal level things don't really play out there. They play out on. Um, uh, yeah, like what you what you do to to your world, not what what the world does as a collective. Um, but I mean, I guess just characteristics of the Ubermensch, they would be someone who creates builds, does, you know, establishes something new. Um, there's a certain vitality, energy, risk taking. Mm, yeah. Um, there's this there's, sort of willingness to struggle and wrestle and confront things. There is a good quote. I, somebody has it like, basically he was, Saying like, should we become each our own god? Um, and that was like a definition for Ubermensch as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that seems that seems reasonable, but but I think what at least what Nietzsche seemed to be like more interested in or more moved by is uh, just the I guess the Dionysian spirituality. You know, I, I know that he kind of confront or kind of talks about like the Apollo meaning like order structure that sort of thing and then Dionysus being this sort of like feminine chaotic um, passionate figure yeah um, yeah he seemed to have a preference towards more of that more towards order no more towards the the passionate kind of energetic chaos type of thing uh-huh. but yeah I mean he yeah I think he would acknowledge there's an interplay between them and you need both yeah. um, but uh, but yeah sir uh, at least from my understanding, seems to have more of a flair for the, the passionate, um, that sort of thing. Ross, thoughts? What's your biggest question? <clears throat> Thinking about the Ubermensch, I feel like I kind of, I start to picture people. 
So, and Mike kind of referenced it a little bit with the, I'll try to tie it in a little bit, but kind of the um, Bishop Barron and Jordan Peterson uh, discussion, but and I, I put it one of the links, but I think in my mind, a way to try to grasp this Ubermensch, I liked the image of like modern day superheroes because it seems to in some ways fit what he's talking about. So, and even when Matt was describing those those um, characteristics, like I was picturing Tony Stark as Iron Man in the Avengers movies. Energetic, passionate, strong, like self-made, didn't really believe in, like he wasn't, you know, more concerned about himself, but like advancing himself. Like, I don't know, just a lot of the characteristics seem to fit pretty well. In some ways, I think when people would start picturing or I guess describing the Ubermensch, I think there's a lot of things to be attracted to, if that makes sense. You know, if you, uh, some of those characteristics, like, yeah, that's, those are good things to be. And even if you watch the movies, like there's a lot of characteristics of, you know, superheroes that we should emulate to try to pick at it a little bit though. Like as far as Nietzsche and what he was talking about, I think the idea of the Ubermensch is somewhat linked to this death of God idea or his overall worldview simply because the ubermensch is something you, I feel like you make yourself, if that makes sense. It's something you strive to become, you do it, you grow into it. And in a way it's kind of the goals of everybody. So the, that quote, you know, we become our own gods or whatever seems to fit well with the idea of the ubermensch. And I don't know if we want to get into it now a little bit. I feel like that contrasts a lot with a Christian ideal of, you know, we have to rely on God and his grace and his providence because we can't do it ourselves. So I feel like that is kind of the goal of what you should, your life should look like. It seems to be, it shifts from, you know, total dependence on God to this idea of the Ubermensch if God doesn't, is if God is dead. If I'm, yeah. There's something... <clears throat> That reminds me of actually um, the Pints of Quant with Aquinas podcast I was listening to recently. Who was on? But a person was on as opposed to a cat or dog. And it was pretty striking. Um, because, okay, so yeah, the Tony Stark and even just these words like, yeah, vitality, dynamic. I mean, that sounds exactly how like NPR is introducing a speaker series going on in St. Louis. Hey, check out these dynamic speakers. And in fairness, like those are terms that I would use if I were advertising some speaker. But, but this uh, gentleman on Matt Fred's show said this, and I think that it really cut to the core of the the limitation, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The periodization, the lack of endurance. We think of the Superman um, as this like enduring notion. But here's the sort of thought experiment that proves it's not. Is because the idea of the Superman, if we accept it as the uh, the canonized saint of NPR or Silicon Valley, that's very exciting to us and is very exciting to uh, middle class Westerners, where it's like, yeah, it sounds like a great life, but but go sell that idea to a man or woman 
who is digging out of digging out whatever they need for the day out of a pile of garbage in India or something. Like that idea is so abstract and nonsense that like and maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that would be attractive to some people. But consider a thought experiment. <clears throat> or or propose to them not the Superman, not this passing idea that actually really does not transcend any more than 1880 through question mark but rather the idea of a god someone whom you have some notion of when you look into the stars would actually became human and maybe not necessarily dug through trash but at least was a very poor materially poor individual who in some way that you can't exactly understand, but you can understand just barely enough at the very least that he sacrificed himself and died for your own well-being. Like that idea, again, thought experiment, feels like it sticks no matter the time or place compared to the Superman idea. Which I think there's... It gets at the idea of the inadequacy of the Superman. And if we say Superman more than 300 times this episode, there's a special gift for all of our paid subscribers. <laughs> I was going to say, for the, yeah. But I think a lot of people like it. Times. Maybe the idea of some of these thoughts or the Superman trying to help our fans out no, just of the Ubermensch. Because it's like, if, if that's true... Bing. There's no need to accept that anything I'm doing is wrong or could be better. Well, maybe not. That's not That's not exactly true. But to make my point better, there's no need to accept that, you know, you know, I guess I'm not a god. Um, or because the, the Christian idea, right, like he died for you because you had like because we had sinned, Right. So like we had inadequacies. We were broken. We are sinners, whatever you want to put the word on it. But the Ubermensch is like, but but with that idea, then it's like that's going to call call us to some sort of conversion to to change our lives to do something different. But I feel like the Ubermensch is like people don't want to hear, you know, that they're not doing something right. People don't want to hear that they need a savior. They want to hear, well, that's not. I mean, some people don't want to hear they want a savior. They just want to hear, do whatever you want to do and do it great and become a god and people will love you and so i feel like in some ways i don't know i, th I think the idea of the superman is uh, just attractive to people for that and i i think um i mean beyond just nietzsche just like a lot of modern philosophers have kind of done away with um any sort of reasonable or like objective epistemology and like i think that's a fundamental thing too because like I mean, epistemology is like how you know things, like how do you know something's right? Um, and like, I know Nietzsche's kind of more of a perspectivist. Um, I guess you might call it like, it's very similar to relativism, but like, uh, I think you would say some perspectives or some opinions are better than others, which is not really relativist. You know, it's like, oh, everyone's the same. But, um, but at the same time, how do you know what's better than others? Well, who has the most power? You know, that's kind of seems to be the underlying currency. Um, you know, who can affect their world um, the way they want the most, you know, and everything kind of gets reduced to the will, which I know is a, 
a, a central kind of theme there. Um, which, yeah, I mean, you're right, Ross, that like you, people aren't, there is something attractive to not being subject to any, anyone else per se. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't know, it, it's just kind of an interesting balance, uh, because there are things that are objective you bounce against when you're trying to be the Ubermensch in a, you know, let's just say my, I'm trying to be the Ubermensch in physical therapy, right? And I'm just trying to publish all of the articles and be the, the speaker at all the conferences and, you know, be the, the biggest voice in that world. Yeah. I mean, that there's, there's certain things I'm going to run up against. <laughs> Chasing that, like, prestige. Me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I need to, like, confront that, you know? So yeah. It's, yeah. It's just kind of an interesting acknowledgement of objectivity but also dismissal of it um, yeah. at least in like a, a grand universal Quick sense question based on the speech context what is said the madman's the character <clears throat> what what is a good analogy or example like who is the madman of the speech in today's society Just to like relate it back. Is it probably I probably lean towards like a, a more noble example than a cynical one. And the reason I said that is like I think you could say the madman is like um maybe like a preacher on the street yelling to everyone they're going to hell. I think that well, would be like that'd be like fine. a starting example. Is that is that a corollary to the madman in this text? Or not, and is there like a... Well, to clarify definitions here, um, the most fundamental um, structure of the madman here is that he knows something. Okay, we that's the given in this geometry problem. He knows... We think he knows. We don't know he knows. Nietzsche doesn't know he knows. It like, like, it seems like... He knows. Well, actually, okay, we don't know if he thinks God exists or not. Yeah. But he at least recognizes that society needs to believe that God exists. And that there are these inherent... Okay, nope, we need to keep it general, though, for the sake of the question. He knows... He knows there needs to be something to fill the void. He recognizes there's something very important... Very important question at the heart of society. There's different questions, but there's one. One major question. And he is taking it way more seriously than everyone else's. Yeah. Everyone else is just like the herd. It's like, yeah, whatever. That fence was there. Let's take it down, as G.K. Chesterton in um, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill says. Man, we're hitting all yeah. the big ones. All right. Right there, I just, Marshall. I just, I legitimately did not. I was just curious. I was like thinking about the speech and like how can we relate it. I there is probably a perfect example, but I'm curious. Well, I would. So okay. Well, hold on. I'm, we're clarifying definition <laughs> here. He know he recognizes there's a very mm-hmm. important question that the herd is not recognizing yeah. as yeah. important. That that's yeah. It. Those yeah. Are you that's based when you said that, I was like, "Oh, there's there's exactly one answer to this." I think I would say there's exactly not one answer. 
and I think because this is I think the beauty of this is it's it's written very well and it's and it's written truly like a parable. Um, and that not like propaganda, you know, propaganda, like only leads mm, you to one conclusion, yeah. you know, propaganda yeah. or a parable kind of like allows you to explore a, a horizon of wisdom, you know, which is why I think this is, I don't know. I really like this. Um, cause I, I, I hear what you're saying in that, like there are, there is, I think you diluted the centrality of it perfectly. Like there's a person of this sort of mysterious ilk. Um, who knows something that that the rest of most of society isn't willing to or interested to to hear? Um, but yeah, I, I think that I'm curious who you think the one answer is. Just because again, I, yeah, I think, we could take this. Yeah. I it, if anybody else has other answers, I think it could be. <laughs> Don't podcast scared. I'm not scared. I just <laughs> it's. It's not Say even it interesting. Say it. It's not an interesting. <laughs> I, think, I think it's Peterson. Whoa. I think I think he is like he's not. He's not. I wouldn't call him like a believer, but like he is out in the town square, YouTube, Twitter, asking a lot of questions that even like Bishop Barron like will get on his podcast and be like, "Yeah, you kind of like." you did that really well. Like, and I don't know if you are a man of faith or not, but like the most, mostly, yeah, mostly like his original lecture series on Genesis, I would say is like, this is the canon. This is what, this is, these are the myths. These are the, you know, key stories that explain human psychology in all interesting aspects of it that he's seen in his work and like he was very much out there talking about that like am i more to the secular world than perhaps the christian world um and like you could i I think perhaps both sides would agree like would call him a madman straight up Yeah, I, I think that's a fair... I'd say that'd be more accurate like three or four years ago. Um, just brief... Don't need to go on this sidetrack. Uh, I feel like he's been a little... He's more political now because there's a lot more money. Ex- yeah, yeah, there's a lot more money in being he's, political. So, rewind original canon first 50 podcasts. Yeah, his, okay. His biblical series. Yeah, that, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, that's fair. It does seem to understand just the complexities of it enough, like Matt said, that like I feel like you probably could look at it, like you could glean a lot from it from different angles at the same time. Like, yeah, Peterson seems to fit. Like, if you read the speech, it seems to be this guy that has these questions, maybe isn't, he's not like yelling at them to believe, but he is asking these questions about God. And so it's not clear really what he thinks. So it's, he's asking yeah. them to kind of wake he's up. He's yelling at them to like... At least telling, or at least recognizing that they're asleep. Is anyone else like? Is any? Um, you could also say that someone who's someone could be seen like the uh, just the growth of technology, the growth of AI, the growth of all these things, and and almost maybe not God is dead, but man is dead. You know, and we've killed him. Ian Malcolm. And Ian yeah, Malcolm. You know, like an Ian Malcolm, maybe an Ian Malcolm type, no, but maybe yeah. someone who's, who's hold in on. tech. The, the question is, we got to stay, got to stay with the reality. No, no, not no fiction. Right. Sure, sure, sure. But anyway, so um, 
So Tech like Elon Musk forward, saying you should have stop. a bunch of kids. Wait, what? So like Elon's big thing right now, he's like all about, he talks about like the population decline and like if society has any chance of like hanging on like a bunch, if we're going to do this, like everybody's got to have kids. Hmm. And it's really weird for, to hear someone who's very secular to like say that. Sure. Because secular so I think, really have I think Elon could be another figure like this, but I'm just going to paint someone who's, I think, I think Elon and Peterson kind of like appeal to a similar crowd. So I'm just trying to think of someone who might appeal to a different crowd. You have the tech person. sees tech is progressing. Tech, tech is marching on. There's really nothing we can do to stop it. Um, there's too much money to be made off of it. There's too many uh, battles and conquests to be won to kind of go back to the abolition of man kind of tournament of of tech conquesters. Um, so, like, this is going to move forward. We're, we just got to just sit back and enjoy the ride and just try to enjoy it as much as you can and just get as much as you can out of this because there's nothing you can do to stop it, right? Tech's going to take over. Tech's going to take over your life. Nothing's going to be the same. And, you know, whatever, right? So that's a hard truth for people to take in. And that's something that he seems to have, you know, so I feel like the, the madman, um, you know, in, in sort of, yeah, I feel like the madman can apply to a, a lot, which is, I think, interest. which make this. I think the tech really guys, I'll just, I disagree. I think tech is like looking forward and like keeping the progression of society moving i don't think tech is the madman in the square being like wait are we sure about this what are we gonna the madman's more looking between the option of backward or forward i think the madman is looking backward I, so i don't know if the, so the madman's looking backward to see what's happened what's what has happened but i don't think he's it's hard to tell in this whether he's he ends up saying well this is the way it is. We just have this, to deal with yeah, it. The you know what I mean? Half, so that's what oh, I'm that's saying. The, the second half is, is like, like yeah, yeah, this is the way it is. We just have to deal yeah. with it. Yeah. Read Everybody read the second half to get your own context. But yeah. All right. Wrapping a bill on this. Anybody else have a thought on who is the modern day madman? Either a specific person to serve in his example or like a persona to serve as, as an example yeah i mean i think <clears throat> in fairness it, it it pretty much by definition has to be a conservative person because the nature of the situation right. is yeah. society is moving zoop, right. and this one person is moving like right. zoop. conservatives <laughs> hang on a little <laughs> to the past liberals there's, there's no way around forward. that like that's um essentially what it is yeah yeah, um, there there's a really tidy uh, quote anecdote from the gentleman, the Michael Shermer podcast that I bring up uh, a lot, and he's you know the anthem of the um, conservative or the moderate is or the moderate I suppose is we want change. When do we want it? Eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, getting this idea that yeah, change is fine or in certain circumstances, but you know, you you move slow through it to understand just, you know, the na nature of the thing. But Well, I feel like something Nick brought up, I wanted to ask him about, but I didn't want to in the um in the intro in the two minute intro he had. Because I feel like it fit well. I didn't understand his comment like, oh the it sounded like he was talking about this idea of guilt and stuff. That's what we hear every other Sunday. 
and I didn't catch exactly what he said. But I thought that honestly fit relatively well with this idea that that I think Nietzsche would have definitely like abided by was that kind of their conception of God. And I just looked up the quote. I think it might have been Sartre, but I'm not sure. The person that said, if God exists, I cannot be free, but I am free. So therefore God does not exist. You guys ever heard that? Say that again. I, and I, I was trying to search. It's actually not a clear quote, but in my mind, I've heard this quote before, but is if God exists, I cannot be free. I am free. Therefore, God does not exist. Oh. And you, the best attributable source was Sarte. Sarte. I literally typed the Sorry. quote in. His name popped up. I didn't actually have the quote under his name. That's as far as I got. Which would make sense. He came right after Nietzsche, so he was French philosopher, so... Um, little, little in the line of our philosophy degree. Clearly, we don't know because we're all technically educated by state schools. So we apologize. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like something Sartre would say. <laughs> so the this idea that God is dead and that Western civilization has abandoned the idea of God, I feel like is somewhat dependent upon how one conceptualizes God and what they think God means when they say God. So the quote again that we were talking about that I think would fit well with Nietzsche, I don't think he said it, if God exists, and I keep saying quote, I can't find it, so maybe it's my quote, <laughs> but um, if God exists, I cannot be free. I am free, therefore God does not exist. So this idea that kind of this God is our master, we're his slaves, we are bound to do whatever he tells us to do, we are held back from becoming our full potential, or the ubermensch, so by casting this idea of God away from ourselves, it finally allows us to realize our full potential and evolve into the ubermensch. And um, I don't have that written down anywhere, but that seems to fit well with like how Nietzsche thinks and how he came to this idea of the Ubermensch and kind of what society is supposed to be moving towards. So I think that a lot of people probably have a similar thought, like that this idea that, you know, if there are rules I must follow, I'm not free. So they kind of, because they think that way, they fit, this seems to resonate well with them. So if you simply think of it in those terms, yeah, Nietzsche would be correct. If you think of it as this idea of God is holding me back because he is, right, he is, he's demanding these things of me he, and he's holding me back. So if that is who God is, then Nietzsche is absolutely right. We would need to move away from this concept of God to yeah, thrive, to excel, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think where, and I'm stealing this from Bishop Barron, but what the response would be, at least from the Catholic or Christian perspective, would be that's not actually who we believe God is, though. So um, Barron, like, he likes to talk about the idea of the burning bush um, in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. So this idea that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. And I think most people probably read over that and just, okay, this bush is on fire, but it's still there. 
and he draws all kinds of stuff out of it that that really tells us a lot about who God actually is because he is not in direct competition with us. So by, you know, following his will, uniting ourselves to him, listening to God, whatever, however you want to word it, is actually it not at all holding us back from becoming who we're supposed to be. It actually elevates us to something higher. So that's the quote Mike mentioned earlier from St. Irenaeus, the glory of God is man fully of life. So to me, like that is the response to this idea of God is dead, we're held back, we're enslaved, we need to become Ubermenschens, or Uber, the Ubermensch, the idea is, well, actually, this St. Irenaeus quote from whenever St. Irenaeus lived, 250, I don't know. Um, so I just think that that's kind of an interesting, I'm not saying that's the only thing that led Nietzsche to this belief, but I feel like a lot of people, even that probably claim to, or even that are Christian or Catholic or whatever, probably have this idea of this concept of God. And that's interesting that that's not, yeah, who we actually believe he is. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, so I'm glad we're revisiting the glory of God idea. Cause, because we can all, and I think that this is, I think I've said this before, but I get to a significant extent it applies to you guys. Like, uh, a tremendous um, quantity of fuel for the way in which I decide to continue to live my life, which is an attempt at some modest expression of virtue and um moral behavior is based upon those very specific individuals who who really um it's obviously such a cliche but you know who um who who walked the walk who walked walked the talk walked the talk <laughs> Um, but not in just this, but in this very radical way, right? And, you know, just, just calling it like it is, but who, who, who practice NFP, like that's such a radical thing and who are in, who practice what, who practice NFP, what? natural family planning oh. and who, and you know who it's 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 a discipline to go to church every Sunday with your family, even when your kids are a pain in the ass, you know, and crawling all over you like a playground and and stuff like that. Or running away, and from also you. just <laughs> <That's the worst>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get away from that Lutheran church. You're not Lutheran. <laughs> Come back here. <laughs> um, you know, or just the way that they ask you questions. Like, a good, it's a subtle example, but it sort of gets my point. But j just the other day, you know, like, I was talking with my buddy Steven. Steve, Ross's best friend, who he doesn't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, we were talking on the phone, just catching up, shooting the breeze. And Steven asked me, how did he exactly phrase it? He said... Um, any big achievements lately on the climbing wall or something like that. But the way that he asked it was like, Stephen doesn't climb, right? So it's not like he's like, he's climbing, I'm climbing or keeping up. He just, it was just like, you know, that this is something I care about. 
and I'm going to get excited about when I talk about it. So I'm going to ask you a question in a in the right way that's open-ended and within the scope of my knowledge of the thing, which is very limited, but gives you the opportunity to come alive. Those kind, and you guys do this too, but those kinds of questions that are conscientious that give the other person the opportunity to come alive. Anyway, that that basket of things which I just acknowledged, like these are the things which is man and woman like fully alive that we've like all witnessed and we're like willing to live in I won't say radical, radical ways. We can all do better. You guys are assholes sometimes, but, <laughs> you know, fairly, fairly radical, right? Just in this very statistical sense of the word. Um, like that, but that's the challenge because, like, how many of those of those people... It's like, of course, I don't want to sound prideful. Like, oh, hey, there's not many of us go, go around, you know? <laughs> I guess maybe to put a fine point on it, um, which I did write in the comments, it's like... A lot of Nietzsche's critiques of religion or Christianity are are legitimate critiques because that you're doing Christianity the bad way, right? Which unfortunately is a lot of people. Um, yeah. To be honest, I don't, I don't know if Nietzsche would say. I think Nietzsche would say God is dead not because Christians did Christianity poorly. God is dead because we have just discovered through like rationalism and the scientific method and all these other things that like there are all the all these things that we used to attribute to God are no longer attributable to God. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would, ag so, I would, ag but I would agree. I, yeah, I don't think he's saying to rebut that. I mean, he definitely would critique Christians. Like in a lot of ways, like because yeah, the slave more. I know he talks about the slave morality with Christianity and how a lot of people just kind of hide behind this, like oh well, maybe you know things will be better once we're in heaven. So I'm just not going to worry about anything now and just be whatever. And like, yeah, I mean he he did make that critique as well, but I feel like that was kind of after the fact, like Correct. given the circumstances that God doesn't exist, like this is actually what's going on, you know. But I. I think that I think that you will often hear that first out of the mouth of someone who rebuts Christianity. It was like, yeah, Christians are terrible, therefore, whatever. Um, or some version of that, like, well, they don't set a good example. Or yeah, a lot of people say that, people but I don't, know, think, or, I don't think Nietzsche uses that as like a correct. And I think thing. I think that that is some form of it of an excuse but what Nietzsche is doing is is he's pointing to the like the whole body of work of progressive enlightenment and 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 I think the people who would try to understand non non-christian worldviews or beliefs would then turn to Nietzsche for a certain type of canon and path forward or um you know, he said it best for why the Enlightenment separating from Christianity was like the way to go, but it is not the reason for the 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 fork in the road in the first place. It's like dying and with I, COVID versus dying of COVID. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the fork in the road in the first place, and maybe you guys disagree, is like man. It is like, oh, 
Christians don't do it well. What even is this? And then it leads to Nietzschean ideas. I think, <clears throat> I don't know. I think that I'll try to, maybe I'll tie this well. Maybe not. We'll see. This idea of when the madman says you don't even know it yet, and I don't have the exact quote. Yeah, like the people aren't even aware of it. I think that seems to be more, I don't know what's going on, but like I could see that being more like this idea that people aren't really aware what's going on. They don't give enough time to some of the questions and then they hear something that sounds good and Nietzsche's is you can do what you want to do. You know, you can be who you want to be and all these. I feel like from that we have all these be, I don't know, know your truth, you're okay the way you are, all of these things that's like those aren't necessarily in alignment with the Christian perspective. And if you don't hear a good Christian answer to it, you don't really get it, which kind of goes back to the whole of the concept of God thing we talked about earlier. I also don't think Nietzsche's that soft and be who you want to be. I feel like he'd be like, no, stop being a freaking loser and just assert your right. will on the world, you know? But like, like your will being like what you want it to like. But, like, even the idea, like, be assert your will on yeah, the world, yeah. but, like, it's still your will. Like, you get to decide what it is. So maybe a harder version sure. yeah, of the same idea that, like, absolutely. you get to pick. You know, nobody can tell you you're wrong. And I feel like t to a rebellious 16-year-old, yeah. that's kind of an attractive thought. That's true. You know what I mean? Right. He'd be a far-right conservative if he was here today. Hmm. That's an interesting I question. I could see that. Yeah. He'd be like the. I feel like he'd be like yeah. Milo Yiannopoulos or something. Right. Yeah. Just like. She kind of fell. Yeah. I don't know what whatever happened, whatever Milo is, but yeah, that is kind of like that, yeah. but also like yeah, you can have sex with whoever you want and like do a bunch of drugs. Who cares? You know. Yeah. From Nietzsche to Milo, this is the speech, guys. <laughs> I do think what's interesting, like we've talked a lot about. You know, this, I don't know. I do think it's an interesting thought, this idea of this concept of God and how you conceptualize God might affect which side you fall on, if you will. And, you know, we would say if you had the correct understanding, you maybe wouldn't fall into some of these thoughts. People probably argue back. But without really anybody to argue the other side well, I don't know how well that's going to go. But, um, meaning no one here, I'm not saying no one can actually argue things well from the other side. But, um, I do think this kind of the the idea of the void and what fills the void is an interesting question we haven't really discussed very much yet. What fills the gap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, what does fill the gap? That's that's the question, I guess. Um, I'm going to give a really broad answer first. I think ideology fills the gap. We asked for one answer. <laughs> well, I'm going to say two answers. Ideology and convenience. I think those those two things are what fills Hold the gap. Hold on. To explain it. Fills the gap of what? Fills, um, so we're, what we're talking so about, if God filling is the dead, gap. If God is dead. Right. So there, there's this, I mean, in the, the madman alludes to like, you know, what, you know, how shall we comfort ourselves? Uh, murder of all murder. You know, uh, what do we do now? What sacred game shall yeah. we invent? All this. Yeah, 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 yeah. What do we do? So, so your answer is space. Um, ideology. Ideology. And uh, convenience. Whatever passions you have, convenience certainly. I do when I when I think about 
just to add a little more flavor, I don't think we can really even begin to comprehend the role of quote unquote God and perhaps more religion in like 1860s Germany. Like, I just don't, I think there's an absolutely so much filling the gap that like to actually understand what it'd be like to basically be a peasant for a church within two miles of you that like was your entire life with all kinds of rhythms and routines and like probably all that you knew for like readings or entertainment was the bible could you imagine if the only thing you could reference or tell jokes about or talk with your friends was the bible like like i i can't even fathom that like we have so much entertainment and source material for everything that is not the bible and i think that it was the exact opposite at the time that he wrote the madman kind of a interesting thought um there was i guess like a uh, a Russian composer who was asked, like, how do we, like, restore, like, uh, I guess you, like, as a composer, more of, like, a religious setting, um, like, how do we restore tradition and, like, this rich cultural, you know, vibe or, or whatever to Christianity? And uh, his answer was, well, first you go go to the countryside and you live there for, like, 300 years. And, like, maybe something will come out of it. Like, you know, just, like, whatever rhythms of life emerge from that, you know, like, maybe maybe something, like, will emerge, you know. Which I think is a really irritating answer. <laughs> but also, I think, fairly, you know, not helpful exactly, but at the same time, I think gets to a certain, like, com- or, you know, idea that, um, you know, if God is dead... Um, yeah, it's not exactly an easy task to just like bring about like what God is. You know, I know Ross kind of referenced that question briefly earlier. And, you know, and like, how do we, so I guess like, how do we fill the gap? Uh, certainly like, yeah, society is very quick to grasp at all of the things that the world has always grasped at prestige, money, power, what have you. Um, but um, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. It's it's just such a an odd thing to consider, um, and I guess maybe like a touch more about like Nietzsche. I mean, one of the the books he wrote was Beyond Good and Evil. Uh, that's the title. So like, if you're talking about like good and evil are no longer like your benchmarks. So like, what you know, what is there? It's you know, basically your. You know, I mean, I referenced earlier, but like the will, you know, the will supplants it. Um. So I don't know. I don't know if that maybe that was dove off a little too deep but and not connected enough but yeah i feel like there's just so many weird things you you can choose but well in fairness to the 300 year solution composer like there is a certain amount of um intelligibility to that because as we sort of like insinuated earlier it's like nietzsche and his ideas 
it's they didn't like just magically crop up, right? They cropped up through very particular sets of events. I mean, also through some freedom of his own agency, but yeah, through sequences of events, right? That took place over hundreds of years. So my my only critique of that idea, and actually this I've heard on um, Matt Fred's show, which I don't wholly agree with, but it gets at this idea of, um, I guess you would say separatism, where it's, it's I've heard it expressed this way, where it's society, I really don't love that word, but is what it is. Society like has gone gone so far astray that you can no longer even evangelize the culture. You just form your own um, communities and you know go from there. And I, I think let's see. I want to make sure I, I don't ramble here because I'm we're starting we're thinking of what fills that vacuum. Yeah, we're starting to fill that vacuum. Okay, I, I'm I'm just gonna cut that thought off. The 300 years thing. Um, okay, so that that sort of like is gives validity to that idea. So Matt said, ideology and convenience. Yeah. How would you guys define ideology? Mm-hmm. Like, how? Why did you choose that word? Um. I guess. Well, ideology is—if I were to define it, or I guess the best definition I've heard recently is—I didn't come up with this myself. Um, I can't attribute it to one person. I guess I've just heard it thrown around. So, sorry to whoever I'm stealing this from. Um, but it's like a a simplified understanding of the universe, right? Where if this—if you know—the more simplified something is, the more ideological it is. I guess might be one way to think about it. So, like, if this were the case, the world would be fixed, or the problems of the world would be solved, right? So, if, um, you know, if all the wealth was distributed equally, the problems of the world would be solved, right? Or if everyone just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, the problems of the world would be solved, you know? So, like, those sort those would be two opposite sort of ideologies, um, so I, I feel like, yeah, I, I think that's the best definition of what makes an ideology an ideology. Whereas someone that has something that has like a nuanced understanding of like, there are no simple solutions. There are no, you know, I feel like that's less ideolo- ideological, but ideologies are still like very moving, compelling, um, uh, things, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say that ideology, just working with the uh, root words, I mean, it's it's simply a collection of ideas, right? And so, I mean, Christianity, by definition, then can be an ideology. Like, it's um, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true or not true. It's, I mean, it is a collection of ideas. It does operate that way. Um, yeah, it's like a commitment but... to one plane of thinking. Yeah, but there is significance to the idea where it's like Christianity is set apart because it is a collection of ideas, but it all also is um, profoundly tethered to the um, existence of a particular individual in history, right? 
Um, and so then there's all these like little off branches of um, a very diverse um, collection of claims and investments based upon that thing. And also just the whole history of the Jewish people before that, right? There, there's a little bit more like texture to that whole ideology, which makes it interesting and uh, worthy of consideration. Okay, but... To Matt's point, yeah, why does ideology itself today like more of a thing? Because it is ideas. Like we love ideas. That's why there's a bajillion podcasts, the speech guys among them, today. Or a bajillion things on social media. It's all it is is ideas. Just pick your ideas. We are the perfect democracy now where everyone's idea is perfectly equal just choose the one that matches your skin color or whatever demographic and that is the one for you right yeah disregard any other sort of thing that people might have said tether themselves to before like philosophy or religion like philosophy like it attempts to be rig in academically rigorous right and you can debate the rigors of this or that philosophy but that's why i'd say that's more like in the past but then the convenience like matt was saying like that is the marriage that's the liturgy of the modern world where it's like yeah this is my belief system my ideology and now when I go um, liturgize, <laughs> when I go live my daily life, what is going to help me believe that more, which is not going to threaten the integrity of that ideology, is to make sure that my life is convenient as possible. So, yeah, basically the same answer as Matt, but just, yeah, fill, filling them out a little bit. But ideology, convenience, seems right. Like when you said what when you when you asked the question like what fills the void, my first thought was politics, just thinking of people today. But I kind of wanted to like I think what people use to fill the void, and I, I I use the word in my head causes, and I think it's similar to some of what you guys were saying. But it's like people will attach themselves to a sudden cause, and not that the cause is even bad, right? Like racism or climate change or fill in the blank like and they will just attach themselves to it so passionately that like that is where they're drawing their meaning from and their purpose from in life right it kind of makes me think a little bit of like the saint augustine quote like our hearts are restless until they rest in you it's like people can bounce around from ideas but they're always somewhat unsatisfying to like those really deep desires or questions of like what's the meaning of my life and it seems difficult to replace something that says like christianity is unique and that it's like it's concrete enough that it's like yeah this person this one person lived in this place in this time name the year name the towns but it's also as big as it gives purpose and meaning to the life of every individual for all eternity like it just like it seems difficult to replace something like that to fill the void and it seems like no matter how hard you try you're just gonna kind of be grasping at or at something so how do we fill that void how do we resuscitate god who is dead we might say 
landed do, do you have a response to the other question yeah i think i, I think i let point. off with a little bit of a response but also think that um i think that what he predicted i could read another quote of what he predicted but it would kind of get us into world war ii and you know hitler and the kids of nietzsche this is a seven-part episode. I, the 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 next generation beyond Nietzsche in Germany. We know what happened there. All I'm saying, I'm not. It's all. I've I've got. I had questions on that, but yeah, I think we'll we'll um, we'll just leave that be. I'll just clarify the the possible road you could go down there, but all the things we've grappled with. Nietzsche has kids. You know, a generation after. Is Germany World War Two? So we'll stop there. Um, I, I, I'll, I well, think. Okay, I will ask. I ask one question that I hinted at. There is like it's not clear to me how religious was Hitler. Totally. Um, I think I. I think you would have to read Mein Kampf, which is my struggle. My struggle um, to understand that. I freakishly fear that. I don't know. I don't know. That that could be an exercise for one someday. Uh, I think some people would say like he he um, used the churches as a mechanism, and pro. You know, they would say they would mark up Hitler's evils to Christianity's evils. I think the, I think the left would say that. The right would say he was an atheist, and look at all the bad things atheists do. You know, they'd both claim, and I, I think there was support because he made sure that the churches that did stick around preached his gospel and the ones who would not preach his gospel he off so it's like the churches were still around they claimed to be christian but they were propagandists so both sides could claim their own um uh i i would say just uh, uh what have we filled the void with i think much of nietzsche's predictions like we've we've filled the void with ourselves like we are so perhaps like self-absorbed maybe we put it in the form of like our own political ideologies our identities but we are it's just like all about the individual and us and we have probably made ourselves gods um you were about to say mike to bring us home the what is it what is it identified um some things that might fill that void currently but as it is god is dead now for a hundred and seventy years sixty years so how do we bring him back to life is it possible is that our final bell question boom yes it is one more round there's no stopping us now this is our round Okay, how do we resuscitate God? I think I was gonna start with the funny way, but that's too cool. Um I think just reestablishing the right concept of who God is would go a long way. So, I mean, kind of reference everything 
I said earlier, but just understanding who he is and he's not in competition with us, all these things seem to make everything about Christianity then make more sense and make the the arguments against it, at least from this the perspective that I mentioned earlier about how we have to be, you know, be made free. Um, this they don't seem as attractive anymore. Um, I think that to get my hip answer in, I think there is a lot to be said, like I would say, like reading the Lord of the Rings, I think would be helpful. And I, I do that. I say that in the stance of like, here to quote cat arc, to get extra points from three episodes ago, like Providence and Grace, this idea of Providence and Grace is very prevalent in the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to Marvel movies where it's the complete opposite. It's these Uber Menches, Uber Mensch heroes that just, they just keep being stronger and faster and bigger and more powerful. And then they beat the bad guy. Like, and then they assert their will and it's, it's awesome. And if I could just be more like him, like, I don't know, just Mm -hmm. that idea as opposed to Lord of the Rings where these ideas like providence and grace and the most powerful figures aren't the ones that do all the work because they recognize they can't like, it's not up to them. It's not up to power and asserting your will. It's up to these other factors to really restore Middle Earth um, or to save Middle Earth. So I think that that just reading that and having the proper understanding of that, like we do need pro- like or seeing the seeing providence and understanding our need for grace, um, I think would come a lot more from leading, reading the Lord of the Rings as opposed to watching the Avengers. And some of that I stole from. Uh, Bishop Barron, but some of it I put my own points on. Like, what does God's CPR look like? Is it rescue breaths? Is it chest compressions? <laughs> rescue breaths are out, Matt. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if you have a mask, of course, so you don't catch COVID. <laughs> 30 and 2, baby. For adults. You drink that whiskey, Mike. I'll fill in. I got a short one. Um, I think it just like as it relates to what we talked about. I think understanding the arc of the um, the progress of man, perhaps as man relates to his position with God, but <clears throat> understanding it in the context to how we got here to our society today and the triumphs or pitfalls, the, yeah, whatever. I think it it is important that, um, that we know our history and know that like we perhaps stem from a society, whether it be academia or, um, just like, the cultural trickle of forces that we can't even point to or put a pin on just like, just like the madman in the story. It's like, he's out in the town square. Like what happened? Like, I fear this, is this going on? And people are looking at him like, what are you talking about? I feel like even like as, as my wife, like, Oh, we're talking about Frederick Nietzsche tonight. And she was like, who is that? Or like, I don't think I've heard of him. It's like, we don't even really know all of the forces that, the forces and thinking and ideas and perhaps the water that we're swimming in that led to conscious thought or 
progress or whatever. And I think that just the standard, like classically liberal education of philosophers as they relate to how they interpreted religion, which you are either, I mean, you were either Catholic or a great Protestant thinker or a atheistic expat like Nietzsche's father was a Lutheran pastor so he was just like he knew all of the tradition he branched off from it so everything has typically been in response to the word of God and we lost that like one generation ago um probably and we're like swimming without a paddle and just being able to cite your sources back to all right what what are you building off of? I think it's important. Um, so there's no no new ideas under the sun, and God was the sun up until probably a generation ago for pretty much everything. But I, I don't think he is anymore. I, I think you could go through all of school now as a Gen Z or what have you and not get really that close to even Nietzsche, who was a questioner 140 years ago. Um, I th- I think my uh, answer is actually stealing a line from uh, Bishop Barron, article that he wrote on the Avengers that Ross was referencing. The idea to evangelize the imagination, it feels <clears throat> it it feels like low hanging fruit in a sense. And what I mean by that, and this does connect in many ways. I didn't get to bring up, but I had made the notes with Nietzsche. So imagining the world in like 1880, or even just like United States Catholicism in like 1955 or something, where it's like, man, the church just runs everything. Like good stuff happening, really, really bad stuff happening, but it had power and influence. Like, you could just, you could have those 20 students in your classroom, and you could just say whatever you felt like you needed to say, and that dissenter among them would not have a voice. Like, they would just be, like, smashed and smothered, all right? And so, it reminds me of that quote of, um, what is it? Good times create weak men and weak men create bad times and bad times create great men something like that where that moment was a in a sense a good time in a just it very simply politically speaking it was a good time yeah i don't want to like yeah and so you have these individuals in authority teachers clergy Obviously, some of them as great as they've ever been, right? But some of them, yeah, who said, like, man, that is an admirable admirable position, being an important position, being clergy or <clears throat> teacher at a Catholic high school or Catholic school. Like, you were admired, you were important, and they go in there, and they don't have imagination. They go in there, and they spew whatever they feel like they're supposed to spew, and they're, they're feeding the machine. 
And obviously, then, as we said, it's good times create weak men. Those students were made weak because their imaginations were not fed. Christ was not part of their imagination. Christ was just um, political science or something like that. And, of course, the people who were imagining were those dissenters, the ones who were thinking, well, what about this? What about this? And that was, that's, you know, just, uh, yeah, that's why the stories became, that's why, man, the Ten Commandments, I showed that to my class when I was teaching and I've rewatched this. And it's like, that is, that's such a fun film. And it's like, regardless of how historically accurate it is, it's still rich yeah. with, imagination like it makes you mm -hmm. feel alive right and that and you know, i think credit to bishop baron a word on fire like and other great films like that reference lot or calvary or that padre peel when child buffin looks pretty good i think that came out i don't know it seems like it was a pretty obscure movie or something but the point is they're rich in they're meshing the truth and the dogma with imagination and i think that is that's the uh that is the reintegration of the breath compressions with a cpr <laughs> yeah i mean I, I would say uh yeah kind of piggybacking on that i think i think story and imagination are big um, especially like wonder, awe, fairy tales, that sort of stuff, just kind of feeding the moral imagination of kids in a way that's, um, uh, I don't know, I guess just authentic, but also a little like scary, you know, if you think about some fairy tales. Is there like a, trili a trilogy of books you, know, you like, might recommend? You know, <laughs> oh yeah, no, I think that's for, for sure part of it. But I guess the golden compass, right? <laughs> but restoring the transcendent might be like the, the kind of simplified uh, version of that. So I, I think that's one. I think perhaps on on the other side, um, just build new symbols or new what you know. Just something needs to point people. Um, and if the transcendent, if the Ten Commandments movie just doesn't resonate with people, I mean, it's at some point you need to like. That's a great I film, guess they, Matt. They figure out what the heck does. <laughs> it does. It does. No, I'm. I no. I you agree. Just show but, it to him uh, again. But and yeah, I guess like. Things. Yeah, I, I just pay attention. Yeah, I guess you just need to pay attention to like what the new symbols are, um, and what the new rituals are, and like I mean, kind of similar to how Christianity took these pagan festivals and like pivoted them, you know, to point towards christ um it's like all right well there, there's new things that that are kind of the the pagan festivals of our day you know like how do we pivot mm. them you know mm. um, yeah nice well man new speech series coming up in a few weeks we got some ideas on our uh speech series outline don't know what we'll land on but i'm sure it's gonna be great ross is gonna be leading off the charge Fantastic. Landon, what are you smiling about? So does that, so Ross, well, I am just thinking My job baseball, is to get a single, like... and then somebody's got to move me over to second. This isn't, I'm old school. Yeah, grounders. I don't, yeah. I don't have a high launch angle. So, I just hit a line drive Mike up the middle. Mike just because he can't base. do anything else. 
<laughs> Massey, they're striking out. We're hitting the grand I'm the number three hitter, yeah. baby. I think that means that yeah. that I'm batting fourth. I'm on. I'm typically on steroids. I can like get it. I just swing for the home run, but like I'm not. I can't field. I, I have no field position. Or or I'm a I'm a actually a really good pitcher who's also a really good hitter. Like, hey yeah, toss him in on second. Toss him in second batter. I'm like a Randy what's that tall pitcher's name? Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson? He was he wasn't Randy a good Johnson. He pitched in the American League. He never hit. Yeah, but he's a good pitcher. I'm I'm so an improvement on him. I can I can hit too. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, it's been great. Thanks for drinking and thinking with us. <laughs> Hear the music. You're good. Landon, you can speak. <laughs> no, you say be safe out there. Be safe out there. Hey, cue the music. Let's go. Come and go Look toward the horizon Up ahead you'll find A peace of mind Relief from the trying I had burned a bridge Wrecked in a ditch Had to ask forgiveness Dead ends come and go Look toward the horizon Times we grew and the times we fell Oh, I've been afraid some days But the road will lead us to a better place Road will lead us to a better place